Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I am Father Roderick. It is super hot outside, 31 degrees, that is 87 degrees Fahrenheit, 87 point something. May not be very hot if you live, for instance, in Arizona, but for us in the cold Netherlands, it is scorching. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons, my wonderful community that help me with their monthly micro donations and also with their support, with their feedback. Uh, because if you join the community of patrons, you also get to join the Discord community. And that's where I pitch my ideas. That's where I get a lot of your questions and suggestions. So without that community, this show wouldn't be there. So really a big thank you to all my patrons. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So this past weekend, I was at the ordination, the priestly ordination of my good friend Eric Rosamon, who is uh, who was working here in the parish uh, where I also assist uh, during the weekends as a transitional deacon, which means he was ordained a deacon about half a year ago, maybe a little bit longer, and then. But that's kind of like an in-between phase, and uh, in the end, when you're you're completely done with your studies and everything, you are ordained a priest. And so that priestly ordination was last Saturday by Cardinal Ike. Uh, I was there as uh, as well as many of my fellow priests, and that was wonderful. That was always reminds me of my own ordination, even though I also reckon how how much time has passed. Uh, so I was ordained uh, more than twenty five years ago. It seems so hard to believe that it's been. A quarter century, basically. It feels still like it was only a few years ago. And maybe also because the setting, the cathedral doesn't change that much. It's a, an old medieval church. We have a different bishop now. But the rest of the ceremony, the liturgy, hasn't changed that much. So in, in many ways, it's like a, 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 a time trip. You go back to your, to your own memories of that, uh, of that day. And, uh, and it's, it's a moment also of thanksgiving um, and being happy that... I wasn't the last one who was ordained a priest, but that there is a new generation of young people that are very talented and that are uh, also joining us in working in the vineyard of uh, of the Lord. It's a it's a great great joy. And then the next day, um, I was invited to preach the homily during uh, Eric's first mass. And the first mass traditionally traditionally is held in the parish where you grew up or where you were formed. In this case, it was in Hengelo, in the eastern part of the Netherlands. And Eric had asked me if I wanted to preach. Um, and I've been uh, celebrating Mass uh, 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 over the past few months uh, in the presence of, of Eric uh, several times, because he was there as a deacon, I as a priest. So he heard me preaching, and he, he hoped that if I would preach, people would not fall asleep. No pressure. <laughs> well... It was it was a, a, a really uh, fun uh, and and also kind of was an honor and a fun moment to to preach. I was nervous, which I normally never am because I kind of I am a talker. This is what I do most of the days, <laughs> but and I'm a storyteller. But for for some reason, uh, I, I I just felt a lot of pressure to deliver, if if that's the word. Uh, but I, I wanted to to do my best to deliver a homily that would not 
just be storytelling and interesting and funny, but also have a message. And so in the end, of course, it all went well. And then in the afternoon, uh, after the reception, we were uh, asked to join the family and Eric for dinner uh, outside of Oldenzaal. It was a beautiful location, uh, like an old villa um, that was now a restaurant and a hotel. And it was one of the most extraordinary dinners that I've ever witnessed. And it was not about the food. Let me explain what happened. So we were sitting there. Uh, a quite sizable crowd. I think we were like 50 or 60 people. Uh, and of course they had uh, created these separate, different tables. And so I was at a table surrounded by my fellow colleagues, my other priests. So we, we called it the black and white table. And it was not because we are, you know, it's not a display of cler clericalism, um, but it's just one of those very, very rare occasions that we can talk and that it's that we're together in an informal way, and so we need to catch up on a lot of stuff. So it was a lot of fun to uh, to uh, to sit there and talk and enjoy the food. But then there was something weird happening while we were having dinner because we noticed that in between the meals, the owner of the of the building of the of the restaurant in the hotel was getting into fights with his personnel. And at first, it was happening a little bit kind of almost inconspicuously and only a few of us noticed that there was something wrong but then the conflict started to pile up and he got more aggressive and we were a bit embarrassed it's like that is not professional we're here you know this would be supposed to be a festive occasion and 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 this 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 thing seemed to go completely out of hand it was almost as if you know Gordon Ramsay could show up at any time and just shut the whole place down. What are you doing, you guys? <clears throat> and uh, and at one point, there is clearly a fight going on in the kitchen or outside of the of the room we were where we were sitting, and we hear this horrifying scream, and it's like as if someone is murdered, and then someone runs in the door and says, "Someone has been killed." <laughs> we were like, what? What's going on? And then uh, the police arrives, uh, this this lady uh, who is um, starting to interrogate everyone. And she takes us table by table to another room where this is the scene of the murder. And there are lots of objects. I know this sounds completely crazy, right? And there are lots of objects there on the floor. And this police agent tells us that she needs our help because we've been there all, all evening long to kind of figure out what happened. And that's where we started to understand that this was part of a performance. This was obviously not a real murder, but it was a play in which from the moment the, di the dinner started, we were uh, un unwitting participants and so a lot of the stuff that happened in between the various courses of the meal were all meant to give us clues as to what was really going on and you know the, these people had been interacting with us they were serving us food that's why we didn't suspect them to be part of a, a, a theater group uh, but while they were serving us their behavior was definitely strange and they said things that were 
were like really raising eyebrows. And so the moment we we understood that, wait a minute, this is one of Eric's evil plans. And I've told you before that Eric uh, loves board games. He loves Stephen King novels. He, he loves to read. He loves movies. So, but never in in the world had I ever expected him to pull a prank during his first dinner as a, as a, as a newly ordained priest. This was insane. And, uh, but it was so well done because then the police officer told us to observe the, the place of the crime. So it's a bit like, uh, like Clue, right? And uh, they, she, she gave us a, a, a list with a number of questions. So who do you think committed the murder? What was the weapon? Or the, what was the way in which the person was murdered? What was the motive? Uh, you know, what was going on? And then she asked us to go interrogate the people that were serving us. So the owner of the restaurant and the ladies and the guy who was like really slow. And uh, there was also this really weird moment in between the courses where after a sketch, because of course this was also just a feast. And so family members of Eric uh, also sang songs and, and that there was this one... Uh, presentation with a PowerPoint showing some old pictures of Eric when he was young, etc., by an uncle. And then right in the middle of that, the owner of the establishment of the restaurant does a marriage proposal to this woman, and which also felt so out of place and so weird, but we didn't dare to say. It was so awkward, but at the time, nobody uh, at that time realized that we were part of a performance. So we were all like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> and so we had to interrogate his fiancée as well. And it turns out that he had another woman that he was actually married to who, who was now in France, etc. It was a whole plot. And these all these people stayed in character all the time. And, and it's so unsettling because you don't know, but are they really the owners of this place? Are they? I mean, it, the fact they are serving us, is that... Be- is that part of the act or are they really working here? It was just so confusing. Now, we, I was lucky because in my group, one of our, our, the priests at my table had worked as a lawyer for many, many years. And so he'd been in, in court, in court uh, uh, for most of his life. And so he did the interrogations, which I think even the actors that he was interacting with, they were a little bit taken aback by, by his persistency and like the precision of his questions. So at one point, we, uh, we, we, we came up with a theory and we filled in the, the, uh, the paper. And then all the tables handed in their, their take on what had happened. And it turns out we were wrong. There was only one table that had guessed exactly it. They had everything uh, figured out. And it was the table with all the seminarians. How fun is that? So it was only the table with the seminarians who, 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 who identified the murderer, the motive, the way in which the murder was committed. I was so stunned and, and really uh, amazed by uh, how, they, how they were able to figure that out. But anyway, you imagine how I felt at the end of the evening. I was like, wow, this was, this was totally unforgettable. That This was the coolest ordination party that I've ever been at. <laughs> I, I, I hope that one day Eric will be ordained a bishop so we can do this again. <laughs> Give us more of this. I loved it. It was so much fun. 
How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. All right. I finally had some more time than in previous weeks to catch up on some of my favorite television series. And I found just the thing I needed to to figure out what to watch. Now, I always have this problem that that in the past I was reading books, watching movies, watching TV series, playing video games, but I couldn't really uh, log what I was doing. So oftentimes when I'm in the middle of a book, I stop reading and I start reading another book and I forget where I was. So I always forget to to add bookmarks in my book. So oftentimes I have to go back and reread some more chapters. I had that a lot with Wheel of Time because those books are so huge. So I'd forget what had happened. And so I had to reread a lot of chapters. I have the same thing, the same issue with television series. So I start watching a series and then something, something else comes up or a new movie comes out. I start watching that. I forget about the series that I was watching. And then sometimes years later, I want to go back to that series and it's like, oh, I cannot, I cannot remember what I've already seen and what I've not seen. And often, especially if these series, as is often the case, are are multiple seasons long, you tend to get completely lost. So I found this app that is called uh, TV Time. You can also go to the website. It's called tvtime.com. And... Um, and it's brilliant. It's an app that helps you to... Um, you can register all the movies and television series that you've watched or or want to watch. And then it keeps track of where you are. So you can say, hey, I just watched the last episode of, of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I've completed the series and it will it will remember that forever, well, as long as I'm using the app. And the same, But the same is also true. So I went back to a lot of... Adding a lot of the series that I remember watching, and I just added all the... I've seen this episode, I've seen this one, I've seen this season. And so now, if I want to go back, if I want to kind of figure out what am I going to watch, I can just open the app and say, hey, that's a cool series, I want to finish this series. So it helps me to also complete a lot of the of the series that I've been watching in the past. I don't know, for me, I'm a kind of a completionist. I don't like to just abandon a series. I want to finish the story. And, and this is extremely helpful. Um, I have that with, with Goodreads as well. Since Ever since I started logging the books that I re- read and that I've read and adding reviews, um, it's, so, it's so motivating to read more. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that thanks to Goodreads, I'm kind of back on track reading 100 books per year, which is kind of what I did as, as a child. And when I was in high school, I would read all the time. And then... At one point, I just stopped reading, and now I'm 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 back, and I'm enjoying it so much. And the same is true with like intentional television watching. I don't like to just browse channels. I have live television now because it's part of my internet subscription, and I cannot stand it. I'm trying to watch some Star Trek because it's the only way in which I can watch more recent Star Trek stuff because there's a Paramount channel on live television, but it's so riddled with ads. And it's not just like a few ads like on YouTube where it's just 30 seconds or one minute max. No, these ads are like five, six, seven minutes long. 
it's horrible. And then they've also disabled the the fast forward button. So, yeah, I'd, I'd rather just pick a series and say, hey, I want to watch this story and I'm going to finish it. And so I want I have the complete story. It feels like since I now that I'm using this app, I, I'm kind of catching up on the more intentional television viewing that I did in the past. So I'm uh, I'm excited about that. Is exactly what I what I needed. Um, so speaking about Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, I just watched the last episode, episode six of this uh, special series. Now, of course, it was never intended to be a, um, uh, like a recurring series. They wanted to do one season because ultimately it was originally meant to be a movie. And so, because Solo didn't do as well as they hoped, uh, they decided to move it to television. And you can still, you can still notice that some of the flaws of this series are, I think, linked to the fact that this was conceived as a as one continuous story. And so, a lot of the early episodes didn't give us much to work with, because it's all setting up in a, in a movie theater. It doesn't matter. You're just sitting through those. Those the, the episodes or the, the parts of the story that put the the, the drama in place, um, and then you have the culmination and all the action towards the end, right? Well, that's what happened here with Obi Wan Kenobi as well. The last two episodes were incredibly good compared to the much slower and also more I don't know simplistic episodes at the beginning. So I can understand that some of the, the more impatient Star Wars fans were were not happy with with what they got because it was presented to them as like this is the return of Obi Wan Kenobi. It's got to be formidable, and then these first early episodes kind of were not much was happening. I think another thing that plagued this series, and, and that sounds a bit heavy handed, but w- one of the flaws of this series, and then I'll go to the the positive stuff, is that they. They really did it on a tight budget. Um, and I don't understand why, because the other shows... So, reportedly, um, and of course, Disney will never release real, you know, objective, <laughs> objective, verifiable numbers, but apparently this show cost about $90 million to make, which, of course, is a lot of money, but it's not much if you look at the budgets for, you know, a theatrical release. And it's also rather small compared to the budget for The Mandalorian, which allegedly is more than $100 million. So, um, I think the way that reflected in, in, in what we saw was that a lot of the uh, sets were kind of simple, and you could tell that they were using the, the LED screen technology, just like they did in The Mandalorian, um, but a lot of the sets felt a bit empty, a bit too simple um i can't really go into details because it would spoil the series for those of you that still want to see it but it was only towards the end that i felt like okay now they're really this is where they put the budget and i understand that that they had to make some compromise at the beginning what i do hope is that this the success of obi-wan kenobi and i think it will be very successful uh, even though there there has been some criticism about some aspects of the show in the early episodes i think there's going to be so much positive buzz about this especially this final episode that every everyone will will watch it so i'm very confident this will be a major success for disney and kathleen kennedy has already told the press that if the fans really want it 
there may be a second season. Now, I think it, that's a given that there's going to be a second season because the, the buzz has been amazing. Um, they've been, I think, very successfully using Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, during the Star Wars celebration <clears throat> to kind of, like, it was their tentpole production. Um, there's nothing right now that comes close in, in terms of epicness. Uh, you have to keep in mind that the, the movie, the next movie, uh, um, helmed by Taika Waititi, is still more than a year away from us. So um, I think that they they will probably just use the popularity of this first batch, this first story, to figure out uh, how they can continue this. Because it's been very popular with the fans. Um, and I think that even the critics will be very happy with the way they resolved the story. I think it was amazing what they did. And, and they also <clears throat> solved a lot of the, uh, the issues that we thought, while not having seen the entire thing, um, might cause plot holes. In fact, I think they resolved it in a super smart way and even enhanced what, what we know it happens in A New Hope by giving it more body, more context. Um, so hats off to what they did with this story. That's also what's going to make a sequel so much harder because they will have to find a story that is as relevant as this story. But this was all about Obi-Wan's personal evolution his, his conversion in a certain way back to the Force. And um, you can only tell a story like that once. So for a potential second season, they'll have to come up with something that is just as relevant um, as this story was. And at the same time, they, they have to do something completely different. I'm confident that they'll figure it out because they got, they've got some really, really good uh, storytellers there at, uh, at Disney right now and at Lucasfilm. So... Here's hoping that next, uh, maybe in the next couple of months, we will get the announcement that they are working on a, on a second season. Uh, they'll probably first kind of wait to see, to get the final numbers, and but they must already be, think, be thinking about story, uh, uh, possible stories. But I think if they're smart, they will wait a little bit, kind of keep us uh, eager and... Um, and, and I hope that they will wait until they really have a good story. So it, in, it, with Star Wars, when it comes to Star Wars, I, I think patience is a virtue. And, and it's better to, like what they did with Kenobi, they rewrote the entire series um, because they were not happy with the first, the, first, the first version of the story. And I think they used the delay uh, also because of COVID um, to, to improve the overall story arc and i think it shows it really shows now what i hope is a, an equally good story but with a bigger budget that's what that's what this series needs um then i watched something completely different from this i watched a documentary series called keep sweet pray and obey on it's on netflix and it was um crazy addictive <laughs> in a sense i i wanted to watch what was happened uh, what was happening it's like a four-part documentary series if i'm correct let me just look this up real quick um so it tells the story um of the fundamentalist church of jesus christ of the latter-day saints which is um like a fundamentalist 
branch of the Mormons, um, but it's it's uh, self-contained. Now, Mormon religion, uh, of course, an American thing. Um, it, it's it's very strange. <laughs> the whole the whole genesis of this religion. Um, the whole backstory it's it's kind of baffling that that um <laughs> anyway I, I don't want to be too dismissive of it but but it's it's you, i cannot take it seriously it's so anyway but this is like a fundamentalist branch of it um that that isolates itself from the rest of more mormonism and of course at the beginning more the mormons were um were practicing polygamy and it was sanctioned also by their their founder, that that was a way to reach enlightenment, and um, but then the Mormon Church decided to abandon that idea, and uh, but not this uh, um, uh, FL what was it <laughs> FLDS uh, branch. Uh, they continued to um, to practice uh, um, polygamy, so man. Uh, allowed to have multiple women or multiple brides. So uh, the description of the documentary is an in-depth look into the secretive, pol- secretive polygamous sect of the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the rise of self-professed prophet Warren Jeffs from forced underage marriage and pregnancy to a complete unraveling into, a, uh, an, impre- into an oppressive criminal cult under Warren's Jeff's rule, the story uncovers extraordinary bravery battling tyrannical control in modern America. This is why it was so addictive in a certain way, because it an unfolds like a crime series. Um, and the more and more <clears throat> you see how dangerous this sectarian cult has become and how much the this Warren guy is is using his charism as a prophet and is a self-proclaimed prophet because he takes over from his father. Um, but you can clearly see right from the get-go that he's using it for his own benefit. and It's very creepy, but he's got an incredible stronghold on, on everyone. And the cult is very rich. They've got thousands of members uh, that are completely brainwashed. And it isolates itself more and more, uh, which, of course, also a typical uh, aspect of many cults is they, they isolate their members so that they have more control over the way they think, the, the, the stuff they believe. There's no critical, critical thought uh, allowed. <clears throat> and anyone who doesn't blindly obey the leader uh, is, is kicked out. And so every episode shows how deep the rabbit hole goes and how terrible it is, what's actually happening, and the way it's built up. It's incredibly well edited and filmed. Uh, they do a few, like, reconstructions, but they never, they never tell you, okay, what you're watching now is uh, something that we filmed specifically for this documentary. They give it this old vintage look, um, so it doesn't get in the way. You're not focusing on on the way they recreate. Because, of course, it was not everything that happened was filmed uh, by documentary crew because this sect was so closed to, uh, to, to the rest of the world. But they did it in a very, uh, in a very good way. Um, the storytelling is, is done all by eyewitnesses, people that were part of the, 
of the cult or people that were trying to figure out what was going on and trying to help the victims of this uh, of this uh, cult leader. Um, and until the very last moment, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I never heard this story, but I want to know how it ends. And, um, and what I really appreciated was the emphasis on the bravery of the women that dare to speak up, which is incredibly difficult. If you're, if you're basically the only life that you know is the life that you were a part of, you have no outside critics, uh, you're shielded from the truth. And then the courage it takes to step out of that and to lose everything and everyone. It is the same conundrum that a lot of victims of abuse face when they want to speak up, but at the same time they are petrified by the potential consequences of this. Will people believe them? And at first there's this PR uh, um, plan that is trying to discredit all these women that speak up. And, and, and at, I think that nowadays we're much more critical and maybe more aware of how sometimes these, these groups play their game, their PR game. But at the time, a lot of, a lot of uh, even um, me, important media figures like Oprah Winfrey, they fell for it. They believed the narrative of the cult. And wow. I, even for that, I think this documentary is really worth watching. And it's, a, it's an important, very important warning. Because these, these sectarian tendencies are, are present everywhere. The danger is always there where people have power, where power is concentrated uh, in, in a small group that has a certain hold on people's way of thinking there can always be this danger of people abusing religion for their own, their own, their own benefit, for their own uh, desire for power, uh, or worse. Um, and I think that the history of the Catholic Church and, and the history of a lot of churches show how this ugly beast shows shows its its uh, its head. Um, I don't think that's the, the correct uh, uh, expression, but this is something that this is a recurring problem in the church. And this is why I feel that it's so important what's happening right now in the Catholic Church, where during this synodal process, uh, we are encouraged to also listen to our critics, to acknowledge what people think, how they look at the world. Um, and, and not just listen to the people that agree with us or that agree with the bishops or the Pope. The, the, a lot of bishops and, and Pope himself are very open to their critics, not because the truth is relative or that the church has to give up on her principles, but it is because you always need, you need critics to keep you on the right path. They force you to constantly ask yourself, am I still following the will of God? Is this still the truth that I'm preaching? Or am I being honest? Do I let people free? Uh, or am I trying to subvert religion, to use it for my own power? Am I motivated by true, genuine charity? Or am I motivated by fear or by greed or by lust or by uh, jealousy or whatever? And in a, in a church where 
there is not such... This is why I'm always defending journalists, even when they publish, or even, I, I would say, specifically, when they publish stories that are damaging to, to the church. I think those journalists are incredibly valuable because they keep us humble, they keep us honest, and, well, if we're honest, we have to acknowledge that the church has erred many times during its long history. And this happened also even in the, in the early church, among the disciples of Jesus. Jesus himself had to correct his apostles uh, time and again. And, and there is nothing wrong with that. It's part of our Christian existence to make mistakes, um, to sin, and to ask for forgiveness or to need conversion. Ecclesia semper reformanda, it says in Latin, the church should always reform itself. And sometimes we don't have the will to do that. And that is where, why it's so important to also listen to what the world thinks and what other people think, not to go along with everything the world says we should think or say or do, but always to, to take that criticism at heart and to do this examination of conscience. And, and this is what I think the whole synodal process ultimately is. It is to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit in this changing world, and to ask ourselves, are we on the right track? Is this with God? Is this what God asks us to do? And where do we err? Where are we maybe not walking the path of the Holy Spirit? It is a very complicated process, very tricky also, but this is where you need each other, you need the church, you need this openness, you need this dialogue, and all that is missing in these cults, in these sects where there's only one guy who knows it all, and there is no accountability. This is, this is dangerous in religion. This is also very dangerous in politics. We've seen many examples of that. Um, it may even be, be dangerous in your own personal life. If you, if you shield yourself from any criticism, if you only surround yourself with people that are in agreement with you, look, look at your, your list of followers. Look at the people you follow on Facebook, on, 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 on uh, Twitter, on social media, is it only the people that you agree with? Or do you make a mix of people that may actually not agree with you so that you are also looking at other points of view? The truth can always... You know, you never have to worry about the truth. The truth is strong enough. So you, you, it's not a problem to expose yourself to criticism. If, if you are afraid of critics, then maybe you should, you should wonder if your faith is strong enough. But if you believe that God speaks through the people that he sends on your path, and you see that even in the Bible, where sometimes God uses people that are not part of the people of Israel, like other kings or invasions or whatever, to wake up his own people, why wouldn't God do that right now? So, but the, a documentary like this, I think, is a very important warning for our society, for our politicians, and for our church leaders to be aware of the dangers and the seduction of power. And, um, and, and the remedy is listening, is to be humble. <laughs> Catholics rock!
Good, the Peculiar Bunch will always have to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So today I want to talk about the question that is doing the rounds on social media. Is Pope Francis going to resign? Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. That may sound like a, a, a really crazy thing, right? Why would the Pope resign? Well, um, let's not forget that that is exactly what Pope Benedict did uh, at one point. He resigned. He stepped back. So... This hadn't happened since, what is it, the 16th century that a pope uh, stepped back and a successor was chosen in a conclave while the previous pope was still alive and is still alive. And uh, canon law, of course, uh, allows this to happen. Um, And the first pope who did this, I forgot his name, um, but he, he changed canon law. So, and... He said, well, a pope should be able to, to retire. And he did. The moment he, cho- he changed the rules, that's, he, he used the rules himself to step back as a pope. Now, the circumstances under which Pope Benedict stepped back were, of course, very different. Um, but this is why it's, it's a, an option. And, and I think in the early years of his pontificate, Pope Francis has always been very clear that, you know, he is not necessarily going to be a pope until the end of his days. He may retire earlier. It depends on what God wants. So it's his discernment, of course, that will be the ultimate factor. But he, d- he never ruled it out. And so recently, of course, Pope Francis has been uh, struggling with his health. His knee, he's got an inflammation in his knees. Uh, he is clearly much more affected by the kind of the trouble of old age. After all, he's he's older than Pope Benedict was when he stepped back, um, and um, so that in itself, you know, could it could it could be a reason to step back? Pope Benedict, I think, in interviews said that you know his his failing health was one of the one of the factors that uh, weighed on him. He felt that he wasn't able to do what he what what was was needed uh, in the church as a leader. So. Um, health stuff could definitely be, be uh, an argument. Now, the the the, hmm, the way in which this rumor uh, started to spread, it started in Italy with a few uh, Vatican watchers noting that first of all, Pope Francis had postponed a number of visits. He wanted to go to Africa, I think, at one point. Uh, wasn't he going to Nigeria? And then he canceled that. He said, I'm going to do that later. I cannot walk. I, my doctors tell, tell me to uh, take it easy. My knee first needs to heal. Um, and then there was on the calendar a visit to a village or a town, a small town in, uh, in the, I think it's in Umbria, uh, where actually the, in the, in the, towards the end of the Middle Ages, this, this previous pope, uh, that is where he announced that he would step back. And Pope Francis was going to visit that particular place, as had done Pope Benedict about half a year, I think, before he resigned. And so people were like, huh. So first of all, he cancels his his trips to Nigeria, 
and he's struggling with his health, and then he's in the middle of this synodal process, and maybe he's going to be like John the Twenty Third, who initiated the the Second Vatican Council, but died before its completion. And it was Paul the Sixth who actually was the Pope under who the the whole process of of the Second Vatican Council was uh, was finished. So maybe maybe. Pope Francis has something like that in mind. You know, he was like the initiator, and now that the process is going on, maybe he doesn't want to finish it, or he feels that he's not strong enough, and maybe he will announce that when he goes to this town, like making a nice reference to, you know, the history of the church. Something like that. But a lot of other Vatican watchers were like, now, come on, there have been other visits <laughs> to this town. It's not, that's, that's not very much in the style of Pope Francis. Now, of course, there was a lot of wishful thinking among certain Catholics who feel that this is not the right Pope. Um, so they were like, oh, yes, please let him retire. We need another Pope. Let, let's be done with this Pope Francis era. We've suffered enough. <laughs> it's not a very charitable way to think. Uh, especially if you have say to have faith in the Holy Spirit uh, guiding the church. But some people really don't like Pope Francis and what he does. I always wonder, do, don't they like Pope Francis? Or don't they like what they perceive to be Pope Francis? Because I believe there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of politicizing and uh, uh, polarized, polarized media uh, that are portraying Pope Francis in, I think, not in a correct way. But anyway, that's a, that's not for that's another discussion. But uh, and then the, the the thing that made this go viral was this uh, American journalist. I think she's a correspondent for maybe a newspaper. I don't know. And so she she was flown into the Vatican and she recorded a video on St. Peter's Square. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't believe what's happening uh, because I was in, 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 the, in St. Peter's Basilica and there was this priest or this bishop and he was giving a blessing. This never happens and there are so many people here. Something is going on. I think the Pope is going to, ret re is going to retire. And that went viral. And, and like hundreds of thousands of people watched that. And I got even got questions. To, well, did you hear about that rumor that the Pope is going to, to, uh, um, st to, to step back? And I was like, yeah, we've heard those rumors so many times. So I watched that video on Twitter. I'm thinking, this, this lady doesn't know what she's talking about. Right now in the Vatican, there is this Congress about the... Uh, this convention about the uh, about the family, and that is why there was a celebration, special celebration and a blessing in in Saint Peter's Basilica, at which she doesn't mention. She doesn't seem to know what's going on. She doesn't seem to know anything, by the way, and so she just comes with this story. Oh, I was just like, things are not normal here, and people just don't verify it. I am baffled. There are so many journalists in the Vatican that were immediately discrediting this and saying this is this is nonsense of course there is some speculation about what may be the next move of pope francis but but this is this is completely made up this is a sensationalist this is unworthy of a serious journalist and then pope francis himself in an interview i think with a brazilian newspaper he just clear when he was confronted with this news he said oh no i'm not going to step back no i'm going to be pope as long as God wants me to. <laughs> so, 
It's like, yeah, whatever. So can we leave it at that? Even Pope Francis says, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I have been reading four books <laughs> this past week. <laughs> that is like three times more than I normally do. Uh, because I've been catching up on my Goodreads uh, list for, for 2022. So I'm, I'm now back on schedule. I'm no longer behind. I've been like three or four books behind on my reading list for, for um, a, a month and a half. But now I'm all current. And I've read some amazing books. Um, and it's all over the place, as usual, because I like to read all over the place. I like to stimulate. It's, it's a, a, actually a tactic that I use to change topics and change genres as much as I can. Um, because it helps me think. And, and sometimes if I re read a book about neuropsychology or whatever, um, I want to... After that, I'll, I may just read uh, like a, a book, like an autobiography of a, of a comedian, or I may read some science fiction or fantasy. Um, and this past week, I read a f very cool book. Um, it's called The Office BFFs, Tales of the Office from Two Best Friends Who Were There. Um, this book is uh, written by the two actresses, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, who play two of the, um, well, not main, one is the main character, Pam Beasley, and, the, and Angela Kinsley, Kinsey plays Angela Martin, who is kind of a secondary character, but gets more important over time during the series of The Office. And what is so cool, so I listen to the audiobook, they read the audiobook, and then they have other colleagues of them that are also doing these bits in between the chapters. It's a ton of fun. I think that there's also an advantage in reading the, the printed book because there are lots of photos, which, of course, are not part of the audiobook. But um, it's, it's a riveting read. And to hear what, what touched me most was not just the backstory of how the show came together and how it evolved over the seasons, because I've read that in other books as well, but what I really loved was the story how this show was free of drama. A lot of telev popular television shows uh, were hampered by the fact that, that behind the scenes, the actors didn't like each other, and there were all sorts of you know, it was jealousy and betrayal and people walking off the set, and none of that happened during the, what is it, eight seasons or nine seasons of The Office. In fact, the actors really formed a family, and that bond, that friendship that was built during the filming of this comedy series remains until this day. So you get a lot of stories of how these actors continue to stay in touch. And, um, and that's, that's very beautiful to read and rare in today's Hollywood business. Um, and especially uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey both became mothers during the show. And they've been they became best friends and they've been supporting each other in their motherhood and in how to raise the kids and, and helping each other as families uh, even years after the show was finished. And it was wonderful to read. Um, and uh, so th it was a very personal wonderful insight in the private lives of the actors that ultimately ended up being so famous because The Office, The American Office, was, was such a mega success and still one of my favorite shows ever. And, and uh, I think it's 
partly because of the just the, the incredible genius of the writers, but it's also because of the chemistry of the actors. And that's, that's just heartwarming. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. So as the temperatures rise in parts of the world, um, also a lot of areas, and my country is not an exception, are struggling with drought, uh, the lack of water. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Arizona, and I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, the lake near Las Vegas is is completely drying up now, Lake Mead, um, which was formed by the creation of the Hoover Dam and the, uh, the Colorado River. Um, that used to be the largest reservoir in the United States, providing water to 25 million people across three states and Mexico. But the water level is now so low that bodies of murder victims from decades back are now surfacing, which is very gruesome, especially if you think that your drinking water comes from that, <laughs> from that lake. Um, but what is much more horrible is, is, of course, the impact on the area. And the, the conclusion, uh, after a, a couple of years now, that this is not going to get better by itself this may actually completely dry up. The same thing is happening in parts of Europe where the temperatures are getting more and more tropical. This is why in my country uh, we have uh, mass extinction of certain species and other issues like insects, birds from other parts of the world, more southern parts of the world, are now suddenly starting to emerge and and take over in in, in the Netherlands. It is... A problem everywhere but of course in these parts of, of the United States you still have millions and millions of people that depend on water to survive and uh, what are you gonna do you, you can't just you know bring in water from other parts of the US, US via trucks or airplanes <laughs> so uh, and, and, and you cannot just think oh this this too shall pass because the trend is very clear and scientists are, are telling us that yeah this is there is definitely no end in sight this drought is only going to get worse and this of course is in increasingly dangerous also for parts of uh, for instance of the continent of africa um, and there is not just a menace of uh, of the drought and the lack of water but also the lack of food now that putin is using the war to or as part of his war strategy he is blocking the food supply to, to the continent of Africa and other parts of the world to force the world to accept his claim on, on Ukrainian territory. It's horrendous. It's, it's a horrible crime to create a worldwide uh, uh, hunger crisis to get what you want. It's, it's, it's so criminal, it's so evil. But in Putin's logic, if you see what, what they're doing there in Ukraine, it's just part of the, it's part of, of, of the, the way this guy just completely blocks out his, his conscience. It's incredible how far Russia is, is willing to go to get what they want, even though they have no, no right to get it. So anyway, what can we do? I think this is this is why it's so important that we 
have United Nations, that we have like the world coming together to figure out solutions. And as long as it's just us in the Western world, yeah, we can, we can, we can, we have money, we can pay for solutions. But what about the poorer countries that have no uh, money for, for you know uh, complicated uh, solutions? Or you can't just throw money at the world to solve issues like this. Um, you have to go deeper. This is where I think science is 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 going to prove itself to be incredibly important um and there are but <laughs> there's not much money yet in in this so but there are some hopeful signs that there are there may be solutions in the future and strangely enough one of these solutions re- resembles what we see in star wars when we get introduced to luke skywalker we hear that he is working on a f- on the farm of his uncle and his uncle is a moisture farmer. And you see these these moisture collectors, these vertical sp- spines or whatever whatever it is in, in the desert. And so uh, according to Star Wars lore, of course, this is not a real thing. Um, these these devices were able to produce to they would extract water from the air. Um, and they would be able to collect a few liters per day. So if you have a number of them, you can collect quite a bit of water. Um, and water being so valuable, of course, it was a good source of income for, for Owen and Beru and, and young Luke. But the idea behind extracting water from the air is actually scientifically possible. So right now in the United States, a company is installing hydro panels on a thousand homes so people can have clear, uh, clean drinking water. Um, the problem is also because there are still wells with water, but because the, the overall volume of water is so low, the pollution of that water it, with chemicals and stuff is so big that they cannot really clean it anymore for, for drinking water. Um, it's not safe anymore. So according to this article that I will link to in the show notes, the company uses solar energy to power fans inside the panels, collecting moisture from the air and then filtering it to safely drink. While it doesn't make enough water to use for washing, a small system can make enough for a family to drink as long as the sun is shining, which it typically does in California. Um, so it's not, it's not going to be enough for washing or for raising crops. But it is enough for drinking. So it, it's a small step. But hopefully hopefully we'll be inventive enough and, and, and we will take this ecological crisis seriously enough to come up with solutions before it's too late. Otherwise, I think we're going to see entire parts of the world uh, being abandoned by its inhabitants. And I was kind of struck by how much they are expanding a city like phoenix there's so much building activity going on even though you know that from an ecological point of view it's one of the worst places of the united states to to build it's not a good place to live because because of climate change and that's not gonna correct course correct itself so i don't know (laughs) i i hope that scientists will uh will will first of all warn us 
and and give us good predictions and reliable predictions what's going to happen. But then I even more importantly, I hope that politicians and people will listen and that they will act before before it's too late. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. This clip is... Uh, part of this clip is from a presentation that Bill Gates did, uh, showing off plug-and-play, which at the time was relatively new, and so he wanted to give a demonstration by plugging in the scanner, and then he got like a, a blue screen of death. <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't work as, as advertised, which unfortunately, many, many years later, is still the case. Sometimes stuff just doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. And I had massive issues with a Google device, a Google Nest device, um, now, a lot of my American listeners will have Alexa, uh, so basically the Amazon system. I'm, I'm always pronouncing that very quietly so it doesn't activate your, uh, your device. But um, uh, here in Europe, Google is much more dominant. It's also because Amazon is not, well, they, they are now on the ground almost everywhere in Europe. But a, f a couple of years ago, there was no Amazon in the Netherlands. Uh, their devices didn't speak Dutch. And I still think it's the implementation in the Dutch market is not, is not great. Google was earlier, um, was established more firmly in, in Europe. And so uh, a lot of, if people have uh, Domotica, so basically um, uh, an, uh, a digital how do you say that? Digital home, where, where you can talk to your devices. Um, it's, it's usually Google. And so um, I have speakers in, in a number of rooms. I have uh, uh, some of these little screens on which I can... Uh, I, that I can use touch screens to turn on the lights or... Um, I can't. I can't really. I don't have a thermostat. Well, I do have a thermostat, but it's not connected yet. Um, that's that's another important thing that I want to do before the winter comes because I uh, I want to save energy as much as I can. So I need to have more automation when it comes to uh, the the um, the heating system. But I depend on the parish that is renting me this place to uh, make that happen. But I also wanted to have a doorbell, and since uh, I live next to a church often get people that will ring the bell um, and they want to have information about the church or about the celebrations but um, oftentimes I'm in the middle of a recording or I'm sitting here working at my desk or editing um, so I, I was like well I want to have those one of those intercom systems with a you know a, a camera and a, and a speaker so when someone rings the bell I can just check the screen and see who is at the door and then maybe also answer on screen so I figured I'm very happy with my Google system. Let's get a Google Nest doorbell. Oh my gosh. I never had so much buyer's regret. <laughs> it is a, oh my gosh. It's such a pain to install it. You have to like, so it's it's supposed to work on, on a battery, but then you can also hook it up to your, your um, 
mains outlet, so it gets like the 12 volt from a transformer. Um, but then if you connect it to the transformer, you still have to scan the back of the of the doorbell. So it's like, well, it's one thing one thing or another. So they tell you to bring it inside, hook it up to a USB-C plug, and then install it, which at first didn't work. But at one point, I, I had installed it. I connected it to the wires, put it in place, and then for one reason or another, the connection broke. And I couldn't get the doorbell back online for days no matter what I tried. And so in order to reinitialize it, you still have to take it off and scan the back of the thing. Oh. And, and it just, every time you, I tried to install this doorbell, halfway through the process, it would just stop. And then I Google and I see that hundreds and hundreds of people are reporting the same problem to Google and Google is not responding. They don't do anything. This is one of my biggest issues with Google and also with some of the Google services like YouTube. It's such a massive worldwide global operation that their, their service is terrible. You can't get in touch with a human being. And, and if you can't, they will just not help you. They will just refer you to a website and then on the website you just see the same complaints over and over again and there's no solution. Like, how can you sell, this is your, your doorbell, this is the Google doorbell, and for so many people it doesn't work. For days I was unable to install it, and of course people would start to call me on their phones, like Father Henry, all the time. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm standing here in front of your door, I've rang the bell, and are you there? It's like, yeah, I'm there. Well, the doorbell's not functioning. So for several weeks this doorbell was not working, and then when I got back from the United States, I was like, okay, well, I got to get this thing online. Come on, it worked before. And the, 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 the first time I tried to install it was because I had like a hub in the kitchen that was interfering with a doorbell. Don't ask why. It was just something I read on a website. So I turned off the hub and then I could install the doorbell. And then I had to reinitialize the hub. So I tried this this time. Nope. That was not the problem. So for days, I tried to... And I spent hours and hours and hours trying to get this doorbell online. Imagine if you, if you translate that to costs, how much this doorbell has cost me already. It's insane. And then I, I just gave up. And a few days later, I was like, okay, let's try it one more time. And then it just magically works. And I did exactly what I did all those previous times. <sighs> so painful. Am I the only one who struggles with stuff like this? You feel so powerless. <laughs> oh my gosh. Coming up for my patrons, it's another hour. It is uh, Father Roderick to the max, another show that I record. And I'm, uh, I'm going to discuss an idea that I have for that show. I'm sorry, if you're a patron, um, I'd like, like to have some feedback on... on where I'm going to take this because I, I get more and more people that are following me from, uh, from TikTok um, and that's not surprising because <laughs> my latest videos are, are doing so well and that community is growing so quickly um, so I'm wondering if I maybe should do something for them on, on Patreon as well I'd love to have the input of my patrons first because I do it for them anyway Father Roderick to the max um, this week I will uh, talk about some forgotten science fiction series that I'm uh, picking up on again 
Uh, I want to talk about uh, first mass traditions. Um, I'll give you some tips on, on how to get some awesome free games. Video games, that is. Um, and I will tell you who, which Star Wars experts I'm following religiously on TikTok. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about food and cooking and health and walking. All that and more coming up for my patrons on Father Roderick to the Max. If you want to become part of that Patreon community, go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week and stay cool. Thank you.